Just over a year ago, financial planner Karen Ritchie decided to strike out on her own and set up a financial planning business. But this is not her first rodeo. She co-founded and previously ran a successful financial planning business before, uh, but not even a second-time business owner, an ex-chartered accountant like Karen could have imagined all the different twists and turns along the way. A few weeks after she started, a paraplanner with whom she's founded the business opt and left. Today, a year later, she can borrow a leaf from the legendary Elton John and say, I'm still standing better than I ever did. She joins me today to unpack all the joys and pain, but obviously mostly joys of getting a financial planning business off the ground while also staying sane as a mother of three daughters. Uh, Karen Ritchie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Abraham. Pleased to be here. It's, it's, it's an honor to be talking to you. Uh, Karen, let's go back. Take us back and give us a sense of the journey that brought you into this wonderful professional financial plan. Yeah, um, well, I'm a bit unusual. I, I, from what I hear from other advisors over the years, people tend to fall into this profession. I sort of went and actually chose to come into it unusually. Yes, I started as a chartered accountant with Coops and Librand, absolutely hated it. And then I did a stint in a graduate training scheme in retail and thought, okay, what is it that I want? I want technical qualifications and I want client relationships. And I saw an advert for um, Prudential. Uh, and I thought that's everything that I want to do. Ended up not with Prudential, but with Eagle Star. Had five months in the classroom, which is unheard of in those days. Um, and then they closed the Salesforce down just as we came out of the classroom. And we were thrown to the lions, as it were. Um, and long, to cut a long story short, I ended up finally at Fiona Price and Partners in London and was trained by Rory Percival. Wow! They're just yeah, best grounding ever. I used to trot off every week for my lesson with Rory. <laughs> That's a blast from the past. I should <laughs> no Rory Rory's been on the on the podcast before. Sorry, I, I don't intend to interrupt you. Carry on. Yes, there's a no, well, I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic and it was the best training ever. Um and the only DB transfer I ever did, I did with Rory. So <laughs> That's my claim to fame. Um, no, it, sorry, go on. Go, um, and then from there, there was a, a bit of a meandering path to setting up my own practice first time around. And I did it on completely fee-only basis. So it was on hourly rates, fixed fees. Uh, and, on, and I loved it. But then baby number three came along which was a bit off-putting in terms of trying to do your Gabrielle return at 10 o'clock at night. Um, the FCA web website closes down. And I just thought, you know what? I, I can't do all of this in one, in one go. I've got to take a break. So, yeah. And I said I'd never do it again. And here I am all over again. Incredible, incredible. Oh, well, that, that, so so you, you actually started out 
in a real career, right? Training as an an accountant, uh, and then you said, "Well, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give that up because I didn't like it, and I'm gonna come to a less defined, less established." Sadly, at the time, um, even now, role of a of a financial advisor. That's that's right, and I I think I really struggled initially with the sales aspect of it, and it wasn't until I got to Fiona Price and Partners that I thought, oh, actually, this is what you should be doing. This is this is advice. This is doing things properly, um, and things have evolved tremendously since then, um, and. I think it's, it is still sales. We sell our services, but it's doing it in a way that is comfortable and doing it as best value for the client. So let, let's talk about um, the, this, this, the, the, previous, the last time you did it. What, what was the, the idea? I mean, when was this, you know, of, of, of doing a fee-only basis or, you know, flat fee type financial planning? Hourly rate, that, that is... Uh, well, <laughs> that was unheard of at the time, I imagine. It was. So that was back in 2005. So that wow. was really early days. Um, and I think it came from my accountancy background where we kept timesheets and that felt comfortable. Um, and I'd seen just seen too many people taking maximum commissions, which were just astronomical for the level of work involved and the value for the client. Um, and I also have what I would call um, the pissed off gene. Somebody says I can't do it. I'm going to prove it can be done. And, and I've got fed up with people saying your fee model will never work. Why aren't you taking maximum commission? And I just thought, no, I'm not going to do it this way. Um, and it worked. It, it, I did, you know, did really, really well out of it. The downside was when I came to sell the business, the revenue stream for that was not good because people wanted ongoing commissions rather than ongoing fixed fees from standing orders at that right. time. Interesting. And so you you sold the business in when and, and what did you do next? So I sold business beginning of 2012, um, <laughs> promptly had baby number three. Oh, no, was that? Uh, when did I, yes, I think. Yes, that's right. Um, promptly had baby number three um, and um, had some time out, renovated a house. And then I did some skill person reviews for the FCAA on DB transfers which was interesting. Um, and then finally, th I, I also retrained to do uh, soft furnishings so I can upholster a chair. I can make curtains and blinds. Ah. I did all that sort of thing. I uh, thought I'd make a new career doing that, but then realized I had to work with fabric that clients gave me, which I didn't necessarily like. So I <laughs> <laughs> uh, decided that that wasn't the thing. And um clients were staying in staying in contact old clients would would stay in contact and I really missed it so I thought oh well I'll go back but I won't go out for myself um I thought I'll go I'll go work for a bank and I thought this was a good bank this particular bank um but it was just the same as all the others all about mm. AUM um mm. didn't feel comfortable so I thought no I need to go back to a proper financial planning firm which I did um but I think the type of work that I do it's very different to mainstream financial planning firms. It's quite a niche area. And most financial planning firms models don't accommodate what I do. Um, mm. And it became quite restrictive. I was having to turn away work because I couldn't do it in the traditional model. So that's when I decided, okay, I need to, I need to do, go out and do it myself again. 
All right. So let's talk about this. I mean, I, I found out about you, you know, going out to, to settle your own, uh, you know, around the time that you were, I think you had a conversation with um, Kate, uh, you know, one of our, our team members. And she said to me, you know, there's this lady, Karen, she's going on to, to set up a firm and all that stuff. And um, so you decided that you were going to, you know, you're going to set up uh, and do this on your own. Talk to us about the the journey, what happened from the point that you you made that decision. And I imagine you you'd, you give in your resignation letter in, in the old firm and, and, you know, FCA registration or whatever. Uh, talk to us from about, about what happened from that point. Uh, so, well, first of all, I put in my resignation. I had a conversation with um, my old compliance consultant, Phil Dibb, <laughs> um, and said, okay, I'm, I'm thinking of going out on my own again. What, what, what do you think? And he said, don't go directly authorised. Um, it's going to take you too long. He said, go and find somebody who will take you on as an AR. Um, so I went to the firm that I sold to back in 2012. <laughs> yeah, it's a small world. My old power planner is still there. Um, and I said, OK, will you will you take me on as an AR? And they said, yes. I mean, there was no negotiation, no conversation. It was just, yes, when do you want to start? Um, so I had a relatively easy because people knew me, my reputation and knew my work. So and obviously they'd done the due diligence on the business sale so that they knew there were no no skeletons in my closet. Um, and so it was, it was it was that was fairly easy, um, actually. Um, there was a bit of a rush to choose business name and things like that to get the FCA paperwork in. So that necessarily didn't end up quite right. So hence with a recent rebrand. Um, and yes, I was doing things that I hadn't done for years. Uh, when you were part of a larger financial planning practice, you're insulated from the mechanics of, you know, which DFM you use, what platforms, you know, all those sorts of things. So that was a huge learning car curve to start with, but actually really beneficial because it was able to actually have a under much greater understanding of what you're doing with clients when you know what's under the bonnet exactly. Mm. Hmm. So, so the the firm and so so the firm, uh, you know, accepted you as as an AR. Uh, you you chose this name, Risden Pen. Yeah, and which I understand sort of is is the name of where you live or something along that line. That's right. It was literally, I didn't want to use my own name. Um, I don't know why, it just didn't feel right at the time. So I used a play on um, where I live. Didn't necessarily work out terribly well because my neighbours started getting post. <laughs> because of the, ch uh, yeah, not the ideal. Um, and, and so hence why we've, I've recently rebranded, which took an age in itself anyway. But it, what I've got now feels much more comfortable. Um, I actually said to my web designer a year ago, I don't want something that feels like your typical financial planning firm. And that's what I ended up with. Um, so, it, it, But it's a learning curve and being able to communicate your vision to other people and other professions that are helping you. I have to say, when I when I emailed you a couple of weeks ago, I, I didn't realize that you'd you'd rebranded, and you and you came back and you said you had rebranded, and I I went to see the website, you know, rebranded as as Karen Ritchie Financial Planning. I thought to myself, 
that suits you. What was you thinking before? <laughs> this is it's 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 an incredible brand because it's brand you and the work that you you do for for client. Why was that ever a debate? Why? I think there was an element of I didn't want to limit any prospects for the business by being my name. But yeah. then I would ring clients and say, hi, it's Karen from Rise and Pen. They wouldn't have a clue what company I have. And it's always been the same. They, they don't care. They're just told to go and see Karen. They don't care. They don't know what company it is. So I just thought, you know what, let's just embrace it. You set up as, a, as an AR of the firm. And then, you know, day one, what do you do? Um, <laughs> It was really strange. I sort of done been beavering away in the background, writing copy for websites and trying to do, you know, your client agreement and all the regulatory paperwork, which takes forever. Um, and and day one, um, I literally had my first client knocking on the door saying, OK, now I found you. Uh, you know can can I follow you which obviously I, I couldn't take clients with me I wasn't you know I didn't want to tell clients where I was going I played by the rules um but they were immediately knocking on the door and I'm going no no I'm not quite ready I'm not quite mm. ready <laughs> um so that was again having to run really fast um and getting to new, know new processes I mean the first time that I did um my own trades on transacts that was scary <laughs> pushing the button <laughs> Because, you know, in a larger planning firm, you've always got somebody who does that for you. So it's, yeah, it was a bit of a baptism by fire. There were times I'm thinking, what on earth have I done? It was quite lonely at times as well. Um, and I think anybody who starts their own business finds that at times. But it's finding your support network elsewhere and realizing that all the connections that I have made over the last 25 years are still there, really happy to speak to me, bounce ideas off me, off with me. Um, and I have to say, the guys, you guys at Timeline, it feels like being part of a family. Um, I feel really supported. And um, the fact that people are sort of rooting for you, it, it all really helps. It's 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 wonderful, you know, when you have that support network around you. Um, let's talk about the work you do. So you said the type of work I do doesn't doesn't fit well within the traditional financial planning firm. Talk talk to us about that type of work, the the client. How is it different than than other types of financial planning or any type of financial planning work? Yeah. Um, well, if I put it in the context of the majority of my work is divorce related and I will get introduced to the client very early on in the divorce process. So it is nowhere near your usual discovery. Here's a plan. Let's implement. They're nowhere near that. It is literally they, they might have just been told by their spouse that they want to separate. Mm. They have no idea about the finances and, and it's handholding and working with the lawyer on financial disclosure, um, looking at, OK, what's, what are your budget expectations and then what are the likely settlement options? So you end up quite often I model different settlement options so that they have confidence when they go into negotiations as to what their baseline is and what mm. it means to them. Otherwise, yeah. there's a danger. It's a spreadsheet with lots of zeros. Can I keep the family home? All those questions are going around in their minds. And some cases can take two years from the moment I meet them to the moment where they've actually got a settlement which they need wow. to implement. 
Um, and, and most financial planning firms are not set up to do that um, and to take that time with clients. And, and some of them do need more time than others. Um, and I think that's the key thing is saying to them, okay, let's do some triage here. What do you need to do right now? What are those decisions that you need to deal with right now? And what can we leave? And then it's breaking down into now, soon and later so mm. that the client knows what's on the horizon, but knows what they have to deal with right now and what they can leave so that you reduce some of that sense of overwhelm for them. Mm. Mm. And is this sort of thing, uh, the, the, this sort of work, is it adequately um catered for by the type of tools that we we use within the profession you know so what what tools do you use in in some of this in in this work and to your to your understanding in your view are the traditional financial planning tools risk profiling all those things are they are they adequately geared for for this type of conversation no, I'd say not at all, to be honest. Mm. Um, I have, um, I mean, there's no point at the beginning of a settlement of a, the client's divorce process, wheeling out a risk questionnaire. Mm. Um, it's just completely irrelevant to them. They've mm. got no understanding of it. Um, and so I, I think my practice has evolved over the years to being what the client needs, but we're not trained in this. We're trained in fact-finding skills and mm. presenting skills. Um, and suitability reports, but it's not actually client-facing skills or listening. I mean, really, we need—we all need psychology degrees to be able to do this job, if we were honest. Um, but it's being able to listen to the client, being able to communicate to them at their pace. And I was really feeling that I was lacking in some of the skills to have deeper conversations with them. So realizing that they were stuck and unable to move forward for whatever reason, and mm. being able to say, okay, how do I have this conversation without opening Pandora's box and having a conversation that I have not got the skills to deal with some of these emotional issues, but but being able to help them and give them more of what they need. And so I actually went on, on this hunt. I ended up finding a firm called Money Quotient in the US. Yeah. Um, and I did their training and that was very much about aligning clients values with their finances so where they are feeling dissatisfied with any particular area of their financial life it's usually because it's not aligned with their values but do they actually know what their values are if you mm. ask somebody in the street they're not going to know most of them mm. are not going to know so it's, it's helping them to identify that but also understanding that when they are in a period of transition which to be honest most of us are at some point in our life whether it's divorce um marriage but death whatever it is there's a period of transition where we cannot have some of those conversations so it's then working out okay wh where are they in that what do they need from me and what what are the priorities and then keep coming back and readdressing it and one of the key tools that I use, started using from the Financial Transitions Institute in the US is a communication preferences tool and have any of us ever asked our clients how they want to be communicated with? You might say, well, how, how detailed do you want to go? But probably everybody gets the same level of detail regardless because we have our processes. But to actually understand what's important to them, what I will see if they're switching off or they don't understand, how if they go quiet, how do they want me to touch base? I don't want them to feel pursued. So how would you want me to do that? Do you want visual? Do you want 
written what is your preference so that you can very much tailor it according to what they need it, 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 it's it's very powerful i mean you you mentioned two uh, very good organizations and tools there so uh, just just for the purpose of our listener uh, financial transition institute uh, is is founded by by a lady called susan bradley and we actually had susan um at the london science of retirement conference a, a while back uh, you know an incredible lady a financial planner brought uh, a lot of value to that conversation and the money quotient you've mentioned uh, in our conversation before and that's kind of along the same line of um you know trying to figure out what a, a person's value is so you don't mind me asking a little bit about those tools and how you you, you use them so yeah so let's say a, a client comes to you uh, in the first conversation, I, what do you do? You you have a conversation about what's going on in their lives and and why they they need you. At what point do you introduce these tools, and and which one comes first? Uh, if you can talk a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, it uh, it will really vary. So money quotient view is that um, every client should have their questionnaires to start with. Um, the right. first one is something called a financial financial satisfaction survey. So it yeah. asks them about how satisfied they are with their bookkeeping, their spending habits, their feelings about money. I don't send that to every one of my clients because not right. all of them are in the right mindset to receive that right now. Um, but for where, those who are, it works really well because um, in a first meeting, I would never usually get some information from them about how comfortable they are with their money life, how, how easily they find it to communicate with family members about money, um, how, emotion, how their emotions are driven by money. And it's amazing when you start to ask those questions, even with existing clients who you think you know really well, you find out that actually they feel really uncomfortable with their level of wealth because of the way they were brought up mm. and the difference mm. with their spouse. Um, and interestingly, I'm now moving into prenup work. Huh. And this is an ideal opportunity because uh, you do these questionnaires and people will, uh, will get married and never have conversations about money. Huh. I did it with my husband and we never talked about money because I've always dealt with it all because he's not interested. Um, he's in financial services, but he leaves it all to me. And we've had conversations about money and what was important and what worried us for the first time ever. Um, yeah. And, the, and the, the issue is that we don't do it because it's uncomfortable. And, you know, talking about money isn't what you should do because it's, it's sort of uncouth. Um, so I found it really, really fascinating to do this. And and after you've done that, then that you, you introduce the communication preference thing later on in the process. Yes. So I send it to them. So before a first meeting, I'll send it to them to have a look at. And then I'll, when I meet them, I'll say, let's just talk through what are the two or three really key points of this that you want me to know about you um, mm. that will really help me to, to provide the best service to you. Um, and that's really interesting. The first client I gave it to said, have you given this to me just because I'm neurodiverse or is this something you do with everybody? Uh, she uh. said, this is fantastic. Nobody has ever asked me. Mm. Um, and she, I then got a whole story about how she'd been frustrated with her lawyer and her accountant and, and, every, and other professionals throughout her divorce process because they hadn't been communicating with her in the way that she needed. Yeah. No, that's very powerful. And you saw her visibly relax. 
Mm-hmm. No, it's 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 powerful when when someone actually goes out of their way to understand you as a person and your preferences, how you want to communicate. And and this might sound like a very small thing. I was talking, I was doing uh, so a, a podcast. That there was this conversation we had um, about um, conversion of prospect, prospect conversion. And, and the research basically shows something like when a client had gone to uh, speak to their the, the financial advisor um, and you asked them a very, very short question uh, uh, um, about their rating of that financial advisor, they just give, give your experience with the financial advisor a rating uh, out of five, star rating out of five. Basically, financial advisors who score five stars, they convert something like uh, 51% of, of clients, you know, of prospects that they've, they've had conversation with. When they get a four-star score, so just one star left, um, they, they, they convert something in the region of 18%. Right. So uh, and 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 the difference is, do they feel really that they've been understood by that advisor in that first relationship? So that that's based on a research um, by by vouch for. So. I imagine that the reason why or one reason why what you do doesn't fit in a traditional financial planning firm is the fee structure, right? So if you're going to be yeah. spending this time with a client, sort of possibly going on for two years before you actually see any asset, yeah. how do they pay for your services in the meantime? So talk, talk to us about uh, your, your fee structure and how you work with clients in that regard? Sure. Um, so there's two elements. So there's the non-regulated. So there'll be cash flow planning, but working with them on budgets, things like that, which I, I charge at an hourly rate. And if I can clearly identify the work that's going to be involved and it's fairly straightforward, I will give them a fee estimate, which they can approve before we proceed. Right. For other cases, so mediation cases where I'm attending meetings and there's variables, then I'll charge on an hourly rate and I'll invoice monthly. Um, and at the point where we switch to regulated work and it becomes the usual advice process, then at that point, I will give them a fee for, for the work to be involved and then an ongoing advice fee agreed up front as well. Um, and I'm moving away from percentage based ongoing. I have a calculator for each client where we work through, OK, this is the work we're expecting this year. This is what the fee will be. It's less than last year. It's more than last year. Are you happy? Yes, we'll go ahead. Um, okay. So each year, the client we renew the fee agreement and we we work out what the work is involved. So there's no cross subs, no chance of cross subsidy between clients. They're paying for the, only the work that they need, um, and I feel far more comfortable doing it that way. That's interesting. So I get um, I get the 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 hourly rate, you know, initial fee structure in the in the non regulated part of things. Mm-hmm. 
why move away from AUM uh, structure in the regulated side of things? It works so well. Why are you making it harder, Karen? Because if you've got a client worth 30 million as opposed to 3 million, have they really got that much more work involved? Is it fair that they cross subsidize? Um, I, I mean, I'm still doing a risk premium. So depending on what amount of funds I'm looking after or I've got under influence, so it might be that they have other DFMs that I'm having to liaise with and, and, and have an overview, in which case there's a risk premium that I add their their annual fee. But, you know, if markets go up, if I've got them in a timeline portfolio and markets go <laughs> up, that's nothing to do with me or my work. And equally, if they go down, I haven't done any less work. Yeah. So I, sh I should be being able to be paid a fair rate for my work. And the client knows exactly what they're paying up front. And I think that aligns perfectly with consumer duty. I don't disagree. I don't. I, I don't disagree. I've had this conversation with a lot of planners, um, and I get the strength and the weaknesses of, uh, you know, the the AUM charging structure. I guess my question for you, uh, sorry, my uh, point back to you is: so you didn't learn the lesson first time round then when it comes to selling <laughs> the farm. <laughs> That's a good point. That is a good point. Um, I think the fact that the, uh, the the difference is now that the fees will still come out of the portfolio um, right. as a set fee, so that it's more aligned with what people think um, expectable when they purchase a business. I, I would feel I, my I have no plans to do that in any near oh. future. So, but who knows what will happen? Um, I, it, it's interesting. The, the difficulty I have is that. Oh providers and platforms are set up to pay a percentage but when you want to take a right. fixed fee it's really clunky to try and administer that and you then go well which wrapper do I twist it from and, and you know do it proportionately there it's not an easy way of doing it so you know because there isn't enough demand effectively there aren't enough planners asking for it well tell me about this because when I originally set up uh, you know timeline portfolio portfolio at the time one of the ideas, one of the core ideas was that we were going to be a flat fee based DFM, right? And, uh, and uh, we, we managed to get this thing off the ground uh, by charging advisors directly for the, for the fee thing. Um, because as you said, I mean, it's, it's one thing, uh, platforms can facilitate flat fee for advisors as you said it is superbly clunky but they could not you know and today still they cannot fa facilitate it to dfm so we had a way we walked a way around it and we we were charging the advisor and the advisor was finding ways to take this uh, for, for, for for pass this on to the client some of them cho chose not to but but to then calculate every month how many clients you have, what the level of fee is, it just became ridiculously complex. Plus, <laughs> plus, every time we will present this to advisors, something like, 
you know, nine out of ten of them will say, can we just have a flat, sorry, an AUM fee? So I gave up. I said, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. We, we stopped the AUM and we moved to a far simpler, you know, sorry, we, we stopped the flat fee and we moved to a far simpler structure for, for, for you know, for AUM. But, but I totally, totally understand, um, you know, where you're coming from in terms of, the, the potential conflicts um, in the in the AUM fee, especially for financial planning, and um, you know again the challenges of doing some sort of retainer or flat fee structure with 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 clients. Yeah, I used I mean, to sorry go. It's um, I'm in an ideal position because I am small and I've got a limited number of clients. The thought of doing what I am doing with a, a huge book of clients would be a very different concept. So I'm in an ideal position to do it. No, no, I, I agree with you. I used to say, I used to say to people, oh, you know, flat fee or retainer fee or fixed fee, whatever you call it, is the future of financial planning. I have to be honest with you, Karen, I'm not sure anymore. I don't know. Uh, but but I get the strength of it. I, I, I do. Yeah, I think it's it's not it's interesting. So doing the training with Money Quotient and Financial Transitions Institute, I've met other financial planners across the world, mm. and um, I actually um, took a, a big piece of my annual ongoing service calculator from an Australian firm, right. and they have to re-agree their fees with clients every year. That's they part do, of the yeah. rules over there. And and you think, well, it's come over there, and they're very similar to us. Is it going to come over here? Um, and yes, it's easier when it goes down compared to the previous year. Where it goes yeah. up, it's not such an easy conversation, but the client is approving it up front rather yeah. than getting their fee statement from Transact or whoever at the end of the year going, whoa, I didn't know I paid you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so financial advisors will say, you know, advisors who do a UM fee will say, no, we, we send a fee statement to client every month. And, uh, sorry, not every month, every year. I don't know. It's probably retrospective. I say, you know, this is this is the fees you've paid us in the past year because you can't know it in advance in pounds and pennies. And then they will say, yeah. this is what we did for that work. But but again, you know, Australia copied a lot of things from us, financial planning in financial planning and regulation. They've gone ahead in some ways. Um, in this particular point of actually re-agreeing the fees with clients in advance every year. Uh, maybe that's coming over here. It, would be the it wouldn't be the first time that we've taken something from down under. <laughs> that, that's, tr that's true. I think also it, it's, um, I'm very much that I am the financial planner and I will in introduce the client to the right DFM for them for, once we've identified what they need to achieve. But, if I link it, my fee to the AUM, there is huh. an element of expectation that I have something to do with the returns, mm, whereas mm. I don't. And actually, the returns that they get will be we, we're doing. We don't I don't do annual review meetings anymore. I call them annual forward planning meetings. Mm. So we are forward thinking. We're not retrospective because what has happened in the markets has happened. I can't change it. Oh. But are they on course for what they want to do? Is there anything upcoming that I need to know about what's changed? What do we need to plan for going ahead? I don't want to be being focused on the previous year's returns and that you've, you know, you've chosen the wrong funds. Well, no, that's not my focus. I'm a planner. Yeah, yeah. Um, we will. The investment is a small part of your overall piece, really. No, I agree with you entirely. I agree with you entirely. So, 
a year in. Is, is it just over a year in? Um, yeah, can you... Yeah, yeah. A, 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 two days' time. <laughs> two days' time, wow, okay. So a year in, give us a sense of where you are with the business. Give me, I will pry, yes, some metrics to know, to give us a sense. I know, I know, you don't like all this AUM thing, but Abraham, the capitalist, is going to ask you, how do you, how do you, give us a sense of, the, where you are today with the business. Um, I, I understand some things can, can be confidential, uh, but, but give us a sense of, of the business today. Okay, so um, I have 16 client families. Yeah. I have, um, well, 16 names on my actual platform. I have other clients that I have relationships with, but are not receiving an ongoing service from me. Um, I have uh, 12 million uh, that I look after wow. um, in terms of AUM. Um, I made a profit in my first, so my trading year ended in May, actually. So I made a profit for the first nine months. I have repaid myself my initial capital investment and I've started paying myself a salary. So wow. I, I, I see that as a success for, for the first nine months. It's it's incredible. Nine months. Uh, no, that's incredible. Well done. Uh, co congratulations to you. What Thank would you. you say to anyone? Uh, by the way, how, how does this compare to the first time around that you you set up on your own? How would you are you feeling, you know, much better? Are you? Contrast this with the first time that you went out on your own. Yeah, um, I I learned a lot doing that. Um, I I think I've run fast faster sooner this time around. Um, I'm also more commercial than I was then, um, so I charge <laughs> more, I do charge more. Um, I think there have been mistakes that I've made. So for instance, I automatically thought I need a CRM system mm. and went straight into that, went straight into some software that actually wasn't quite right. So I'm streamlining. And actually at the moment, I don't have enough clients to, to bother with a CRM system. SharePoint and you know, Outlook, I can manage it with spreadsheets at the moment. It's, it's small enough. Um, I have an amazing outsourced power planner and admin team who also worked with me at Fiona Price and Partners. She was also trained by Rory Percival and that huh. works amazingly for me. Um, we just understand each other. It, yeah. it works seamlessly, works really, really well. Um, so I probably threw too much money at things in the first year just to try and keep going um, that I didn't need to do. Um, and there's from first time around, I mean, I was one of the first users of Truth um, cash flow software because before that I was making spreadsheets to work out what huh. return clients needed for their portfolios. Um, and, and so now there's so much more choice out there. It, it's, it's doing the due diligence compared to last time. Um, although in some respects it's simpler because I'm not dealing with so many providers because you're mm. able to consolidate in one place. And I, I don't take on ongoing legacy commissions from clients' old policies. I'll look after them. They get a fee for doing the job, but I don't want to be messing around with consolidating commission statements from all these providers. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you.
if you were talking to someone who is still in the large firm co or large or not even large any traditional financial planning firm and they are thinking about going out on their own what what advice would you give them i would ask them actually what is the support network you will have should you go out on your own who are the contacts in the profession um who can you rely on who can you pick brains of um because you need that to to go out cold on my own back in 2005 with a limited network of professional introducers and um, professional contacts that was tough it's much much easier when you've got contacts you can ring up and go you know what i haven't got a clue about this can it what's your can I pick your brains? Um, even now, having people in the US and Australia, I can go and go, I've got this client. If I do this, am I going to trigger a tax charge for them in the US while they're temporarily resident? Mm. You know, things like that. It's having that network available to you. Um, you can do it. Other, you can do it without that, but it's much easier if you've got that up and running. Wow, I'm glad the advice isn't don't do it. <laughs> I don't strike out on your own. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I love it. Um, uh, I probably made myself unemployable, to be quite honest, because of this pissed off gene that I have. Um, and I, I, I love it. Um, and I, but I, it also allows me to be passionate about the areas I'm particularly passionate about to I mean, the amount I've spent on training in the last year mm. for these new skill sets and these new tools, which I may not have been able to do in a larger firm because mm. it wouldn't have fit, fitted the business model. So it allows me to indulge myself to an extent. No, the, the entrepreneurship or, or, you know, setting up a business in the end is about that, isn't it? It's about trying to imprint your own worldview or your own opinion in you know on, on a very small <laughs> small part of the world that that is that you're you're inserting your own opinion on the on the on a very tiny minute uh part of the universe uh isn't it yeah. so so uh you you were doing this setting up a business as a as a as a wife and a and a mother of three daughters. By the way, yep. you and I, you and I have that in common. Three daughters. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my my life is surrounded by 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 women. I'm covered in women. Is the word you know? The wife and 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 my three daughters and the mother-in-law. I am outnumbered um, on on that yep. front. But but talk to me about how this impacted or not uh, uh, how this impacted on the family life you setting up a business and what you've done to make sure i'm sure to mitigate any potential a uh, negative impact on the family because let's face it you know setting up a business um is hard whether you're a man or or, or, or a woman but doing mm -hmm. it as a, as a as a wife and 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 mother of three daughters, I can't imagine. Um, it's actually easier than working for somebody else and trying to do all those things. <laughs> that, I'm not supposed to be quite honest. 
um, I am in control of my diary. I don't have things put in there by anybody else. Um, mm. I, I, if I can't make sports day, then I can't make sports day, but invariably it's in my diary and, you know, I've got not got team meetings or anything else that's going to get in the way. Yes, there might be an urgent client matter if a divorce case is suddenly moving, in which case I have to make a call. Um, there are times where it ha I have to juggle. I was on a Teams call with a client the other day talking about a difficult divorce case and um, my vet called me. My dog was in surgery and I had to put her on pause and speak to my vet, you know. But thankfully, she was a dog owner and she understood. Um, and But I think actually the clients who come to me, they're, they're some of my, they're my biggest supporters. They want to know I'm doing well. They want mm. to know they're interested in my family life and also how it works. And they understand that I have all of that in the background. Um, and yes, I, I mean, I will turn away clients. Um, I, I turn more away than actually to choose not to come with me. I, I can't remember in the last year any, any client who actually chose to go elsewhere. Um, I have turned one away. I, I said, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to think about. You don't need me. I'm not going to add any value, but you know where I am if you come, if you want to come back. Um, and I think it's, it's choosing very carefully who you work with. So I work with people by referral. I, I wouldn't, my website is there for them to check out who I am. I wouldn't expect anybody to contact me cold through that because I wouldn't know that they knew how I worked. Um, I need to know where they come from. <laughs> um, and that, that, that allows me a certain amount of discretion in terms of planning my life and controlling life outside work. I mean, at the moment, we're doing a big house renovation as well. I'm literally cooped up in the corner of my living room with plasterers the other side of the wall. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sitting on teams calls and the builders are knocking on the door going, Karen, we need you. I couldn't do that working for somebody else. So that, once that's done, that will be a, a huge relief and the house will work better. And ultimately, I will have a, a barn office that is available for clients to come to as well. So it's all part of the longer game plan. It's incredible. I think that you put your fingers on or your, you put your finger on why I see many solo uh, and small independent financial planning firms are just thriving. And that this is why I think they're going to be with us till the end of times. You know, consolidators, large firm, they can do what they want. This idea of gaining control and keeping control over your own life and working on your own terms, you know, not jumping on endless number of, you know, God knows, productive meet, sorry, unproductive meetings to discuss things that have very little to do with uh, you and your client. Um, just being able to be in control and being able to blend work and life, um, you know, seamlessly, um, put a price Absolutely. on that. Absolutely. It's like Paul Armson says, he, he says, you know, you're, you're getting your clients to live their, your best, their best life. They'll want you to be living yours as well. Yeah, yeah, I agreed. I agreed. Look, let's wrap this up. Otherwise, I'm enjoying this conversation so much, uh, Karen. So thank you for your, your time, your wisdom, your, 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 your insight. Uh, let's say that you and I get together for the fifth year anniversary of Karen Ritchie Limited of Financial Planning. Uh, 
describe the firm to me in five years time and and, and what you're doing with it I initially I had big plans to take on staff and to really expand the business but actually it's working for me right now so I will grow slowly and organically and probably be you know maybe three team members in five years time um, very key small client base very bespoke hand-holding service incredible uh, a, a boutique uh, hand-holding service for for clients going through transition uh, in, you're in Surrey, are you? Uh, that, uh, that Sussex. Of, in Sussex, Sussex, sorry. Yeah, in Sussex, uh, Karen Ritchie Financial Plan Limited. Karen, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Th thank you for the incredible work that you do and for being vulnerable and sharing your journey with us on the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Abraham. So have I. And thank you, for, and you, everyone at Timeline for their support. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline Retirement Planning Software and Pytech, low cost flat fee model portfolio manager. And you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. Follow me on Twitter, my handle is Abraham on money. Until next time, thank you.